Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Why don't I pray? Why don't I pray for um, uh, John as he comes comes to preach, and um, we come to to our first, first talk. Yeah, Father, we, we just praise you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, for who he is. There is nothing for us to be ashamed when it comes to Jesus. And Lord, so uh, please would he be uh, lifted high today, uh, lifted high in our minds, in our hearts. And might you speak powerfully through your word to us now in the power of your spirit. We pray for the glory of your Son. Amen. Amen. Um, well, if you've got one of these booklets, uh, then on page three is the reading for this session. I would just say these are undoubtedly the highest quality booklets on a church day away I have ever seen. This is exceptional quality. Um, so if you've, got, if you've got that open, that will, um, that will really help you. And what I want to do, um, what I want to do with you today, is I want us to think um, about what it, what is the the message of hope that we have for our world. What is that message of hope? What is it exactly that in the next month we want to share with the people of Fulwell? How would you sum it up? What is the gospel? Because if we're not clear on the gospel, then it's going to be hard for us to then get excited about it and then share it with others. So we're going to try and think about that together. And I want to push us a little bit and to think about it in slightly different ways perhaps than we're used to, maybe. I'm not claiming anything massively novel. I'm just saying I want to try and help. You see, I think often we say that the gospel is about Jesus coming to die on a cross to save us from our sins so that we can have a relationship with God and we can live with him forever. And that is true, okay? Um, Absolutely that is true. But I want to try and show you today from the book of Matthew that maybe that's a little bit too small. And maybe the message of the gospel that we have to share is something bigger than that absolutely founded on the forgiveness of sins and salvation. But maybe something slightly bigger. And we're going to do that um, by reading some of Matthew's gospel. Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy. At first sight, that doesn't sound like a particularly gripping way to start a book about Jesus, a family tree. But actually, when you read it, you discover what Matthew is doing is he's placing Jesus in the great story of the Bible. Who is Jesus? Oh, he's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's the Messiah. And so Matthew is going to show us what it means that Jesus is the promised Messiah who fulfills all of God's plan. Over and over again, Matthew uses the word fulfill, fulfill, fulfill. Jesus does not pop up out of nowhere. He is the fulfillment of all of God's great story. And when we get to chapter 4, 
we read about Jesus having been baptized and tested in the desert, he now is going to begin his public ministry. And it's interesting to see where it all starts. So let me read Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 12 to 22. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Here is Jesus intentionally acting in such a way as to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet said. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Here's the start of the public ministry of Jesus. And you notice his opening message, his opening summary of the gospel that he'd come to preach to the world. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it's that phrase that I want us to dig around in today. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That is the gospel that we enjoy and that we have to declare to this world. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Well, let's do a bit of work on this. I want to define the kingdom of heaven. I I, I want us to see that the gospel is about a revolution that has taken place. A revolution. Do you hear the people sing? Singing the songs of angry men. It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drum, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. Now look, even if you're not a fan of Les Miserables, and I could sense there were some who were ready to get their big flag out. Some were with me. Some were ready. Will you join in a crusade? Who will be struck? Yeah, some were ready. Others are baffled. Um, That is the great revolution song from the musical Les Miserables. And even if you've never seen it, and even if you don't care about it, there's still something about Words like that that stir the human heart. Revolution stirs human hearts. Because 
all of us long for a change. We want things to change. And revolution is the promise of something new. The promise of something better. The overthrow of what is wrong. The overthrow of the old in order to establish the new. That's what revolutions are all about. And the gospel is a message of revolution. In fact, let's, let's back up. You could summarize the whole message of the Bible as the story of two revolutions. There are two great revolutions that take place. And you need to understand both these revolutions in order to understand the story of the Bible. The Bible starts with God as king, creator, glorious, who creates a world, a world of freedom, a world of joy, and a world of beauty, with human beings within that world, God as king, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. If you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is, it's that. It's what we were created for. It's what we were designed for. But then came the first revolution. When human beings decided to throw off that kingdom and establish a kingdom of their own. They decided to declare independence. It was their great independence day when they said, we don't need you, we don't want you, we will establish our own kingdom. And it was a bid for freedom. It was a bid for that which would make us happy, which would make us fulfilled. And yet the tragic reality is that it became a kingdom of death. You see, here's the, here's the deal. You can't overthrow God because he's God. You can't overthrow him. You can't dethrone him. And so this kingdom of freedom, this kingdom, let's call it the kingdom of the world, this kingdom of the world which promised so much failed to deliver and it became a kingdom of slavery. So now you have two kingdoms. You see that? You have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world and they have become separated. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of freedom and the kingdom of slavery, the kingdom of life and the kingdom of death. So now you have two rival kingdoms. But God had a plan. And over and over again, he whispered that it wasn't over yet. Over and over again, he said, there is hope. There is a revolution coming. Over and over again, God promised that someone would come. A king. And you hear it whispered over and over again. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. There's someone coming. You living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawning. There's someone coming. And this one who's coming is going to bring a kingdom. And then on the dark streets of Bethlehem, a baby is born. A baby who is born to be king. Where is the one who has been born king? And so this king grows up, and in his first message to the world, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you not see? This is it, Jesus says. Right, we read these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, and it's sort of like, we go, oh, okay, that's nice. Ah, oh, it's crackling with expectation and anticipation. These are electric words. Because all of the hopes and the, the joy and all of the promises, Jesus says, it's now. The kingdom has come. That's why Matthew quotes from Isaiah. He wants us to see beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is the moment that the world has been waiting for. You know, if you go and see a, like a, a, a gig, you know, a music concert, I don't know if you get tickets for Taylor Swift or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and so they have people, they have kind of performers beforehand who warm the crowd up, right? And everyone's like, yeah, we don't care about you. And then then uh, uh, there's the announcement, ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment you've been waiting for. That's the sort of announcement Jesus is making here. World, this is the moment you've been waiting for. The kingdom has come. But look, let's do a bit more work on this, okay? Let's, let's push, but what is this kingdom? What is the kingdom that God promised? And to show you this, I, I, I want to take you back to an Old Testament book called Daniel. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. Otherwise, you can just uh, listen, and I'll explain it as we go. Um, in the book of Daniel, there's a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He's the king of the kingdom of this world, right? So he represents the kingdom of the world, and in uh, Daniel chapter 2, he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a statue, right? He sees a statue, um, and it's got a head of gold, it's got a body of silver, it's got legs of um, uh, bronze, and it's got feet of iron and clay. Okay, they see the statue? There it is. He sees this statue in his dream, and then a little rock comes along, cracks into it, the whole statue crumbles and the rock becomes a huge mountain. That's the dream. He doesn't understand what it means, so he says, I'm going to get my wise uh, people to come together and to tell me what this dream means. But he's such a paranoid king that he's like, yeah, but they might make something up. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to get them to tell me what my dream was. I won't tell them what the dream was. They've got to tell me what it was, because then I'll know that they're really wise. So he gets these wise men, and it's, I mean, it's a funny story, right? He gets them together and they say, he says, right, you've got to tell me the dream. They say, well, just tell us what you saw and we'll tell you what it means. He goes, no, you're trying to trick me. 
And they go, but no one can do that. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, right, that's it, I'm going to kill all the wise men in Babylon. Now, as a strategy for kingdom growing, that's bad. Don't kill all your cleverest people. That's never a good plan. But Nebuchadnezzar is so obsessed. Anyway, Daniel comes along. Daniel uh, um, prays, and God reveals the dream to Daniel, and then Nebuchadnezzar says, so Daniel, can you tell me the dream? He goes, no, I can't, but God can. And then this is what um, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the important bit. In your dream, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this vision from God. And God, and God said, the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. That's your kingdom. You are the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, huh, great dream. I like this. This is a good interpretation. But then becomes, I think, then comes the two most terrifying words that Nebuchadnezzar ever heard. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse, uh, I can't even, my eyes are so bad, 39, probably. Look at these two words. Daniel says to him, after you. Listen to those two words, Nebuchadnezzar. After you. You see, yes, you're the king of this kingdom, but after you will come another kingdom. That's the body of silver. And after that will come another kingdom. That's the legs of bronze. After that will come another kingdom. That's the feet of clay and iron. After you. You see, the kingdom of this world is not a kingdom that lasts forever. It's a kingdom where the kings come and they go. So Babylon looks like the mighty superpower. It looks all-powerful and all-dominant. It looks like nothing could ever defeat it. But after the Babylonians, here come the Medes and the Persians. They destroy Babylon. They take the throne. They look so dominant. They look like no one could ever defeat them. But after them comes Greece. Here comes the Greek, Greek Empire. No one could ever defeat the Greek Empire. It's massive. The Greek Empire is awesome. Then comes the Romans, the Roman Empire. Do you not not see this is what the kingdom of this world is like? It's like the game. Did you ever play this game, right? When I was a kid, we used to play a game at birthday parties. It was awful. Um, Where we used to put a bar of chocolate in the middle of a circle with a hat and scarf and gloves. And we would sit around the outside as children, and you'd have to roll a dice. And if you rolled a six... Then you ran up to the middle, you put the hat, the scarf, and the gloves on. Then you picked up a knife and fork, and you were allowed to start eating the chocolate. It was, it was awful, because all the time, people around the outside are throwing, rolling the dice. So you get your six, you roll it, and you're like, it's my go. And you're there, and you're trying to get the chocolate, and you, you know, you're salivating because you want the chocolate, and then you're just about to get a piece, and someone else rolls a six. They come running up, they rip the scarf off your neck, and you have to go and sit down because your turn is over. Terrible way to enjoy chocolate. Just break the chocolate evenly among the kids. We could all enjoy it and have a happy time. But as I've reflected on that game, here's the deal, right? That is exactly what the kingdoms of our world are like. Oh, look, Babylon's rolled a six. Quick, Nebuchadnezzar, put the hat, scarf, and gloves on. It's your go. Grab as much as you can. Ah, too late. Medes and the Persians have rolled the six. 
The kingdoms of this world, they come and they go. That's what the kingdom of darkness is like. That's what the kingdom of death is like. That's what the kingdom of slavery is like. But, there's a little rock. A little rock which strikes the statue. And the statue crumbles. And the rock grows to be a mighty mountain. And this is what God says. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those other kingdoms and and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is what God is doing in our world. He is building and establishing and growing a kingdom that will never be destroyed. When Jesus says he is the king, when he declares the kingdom of heaven has come near, what he means is that is happening. This is the bigness of what we're doing. The kingdom of heaven is not just a nice feeling in my heart. It's not just a, oh yes, I'm going to obey Jesus now. The The kingdom of heaven is a world-ending, other-kingdom-defeating project that God is establishing in this world forever and ever. That's what he's doing. That's the gospel. And I have to say, as I talk to students now, I think this message is more important than ever. Because I think for the first time in most, I know that some of you are older, but for most of us, We have never, ever experienced a time where it feels like the world is so politically unstable. And it feels so terrifying. I have never, the thought of a world war, the thought of anything like that, never crossed my mind when I was a student. Never crossed my mind for the last 20 years. But now you look at what's happening on the world stage, and it feels terrifying. Putin feels terrifying. There are powers at work in our world that suddenly seem much stronger. And we desperately need to know there's a kingdom that will endure forever. Putin is just another Nebuchadnezzar. He will come and he will go. And he will bring devastation in the time that he has. But one day it will come crashing down because Jesus is king. That, that is our hope. That's what we cling to. This is not just a message of me and my individual little life. This is a message of global significance. Which means, and this is, we're doing big stuff this morning, I realize that, but this is, um, I think this is really important for us to change our paradigm slightly on this. Um, I wonder if sometimes we think like this. That I'm, right, imagine a jigsaw. So I'm, I'm trying to build, my life is a jigsaw, and I'm trying to build the best jigsaw I can. And so here's the game that we're all playing. I'm getting different bits, and I'm putting them in my jigsaw, different pieces, and I think, do I want this to be part of my life? And we're all building a jigsaw, and the, the game is to play the best, to get to build the best jigsaw you can. Do I want 
uh, sport in my life. Am I, am I a sporty person? No, I don't really want sport. Yes, I do. Do I want this in my life? Do I want uh, a, this job? Do I want this career? What, what do I want? I'm trying to build the best I can. How do I get a better career? How do I get more of this? How do I get a nicer house? How do I get these things in my life? And then someone comes along and talks to you about Jesus, and you go, ah, oh, do I want Jesus in my jigsaw? Would I like him to be part of my life? And some people will go, actually, yeah, I'd love a bit of religion in my life. That, I think that might really help me. They'll go, yeah, I'll have Jesus in my life. Other people will go, no, I don't want Jesus in my life. What good is that going to do me? Right, here's the shocking thing. Jesus has no interest in being part of your jigsaw. He doesn't want to be part of your life. We have got to stop thinking like that. He wants you to be part of his jigsaw. He wants you to be part of what he is doing. He wants you to be part of his great kingdom mission. His interest is in not in helping you to have a slightly nicer life. It's not in helping you to overcome all of your problems. It is about you seeing where you fit in the great plan of what he's doing. Now, let me say, he does care about your problems, and he does care about you individually, and he will help you, but you will see You will find the solutions to those things when you see who he is and his kingdom and when you give everything to him. You see, that's why the big call of the kingdom is to repent or to follow me, as he calls the fishermen. You see, it's not, I've got my life over here, and Jesus, I'd like you to follow me, please, and come and help me to live a better life. Jesus, I'd like you to come and fix these things. I'd like you to come and do this for me. No, it's Jesus saying, I want you to come and follow me. I want you to come and have a new priority. I want you to put everything, this, this first. That's the kingdom. And it's a radical call. It's a beautiful call. Because to be honest, the jigsaw that I'm building is like one of those six-piece Bob the Builder chunky wooden jigsaws. It's rubbish. Even if I, right, even if I were to build a, an incredible life, it's nothing compared to the eternal kingdom that Jesus is building. And when we find our part in what he is doing, it changes everything. It liberates us. It sets us free. Because suddenly we say, Jesus, I want to be a piece in your jigsaw. Jesus, I want to give my life to follow you. Because Jesus is the king who came into this world. I say, here's the paradigm I want us to have. Here's the thinking I want us to have. In Jesus, heaven has invaded earth The kingdom of heaven has invaded the kingdom of earth. Jesus has brought heaven to earth. Belinda Carlisle was right when she sang Heaven is a Place on Earth. (laughs) 80s reference. Um, Jesus is the one who's brought heaven to earth. And he's brought it not to destroy us, but to save us. He's the king who went to a cross, who gave up everything. He's not like Nebuchadnezzar who grabbed and grabbed and grabbed. He's the king who gave and gave and gave. The reason that Jesus has a kingdom that lasts forever is because he never grabbed. 
but he laid down his life. And so he has been entrusted with a kingdom that lasts forever. This is why you can trust Jesus the King. This is why, in order that you might be part of his kingdom, he died for you. That's how much he loves you. So that you might find your place in his great jigsaw. So that's kind of big stuff of what's going on. I want to show you one more thing. One more thing, okay? Then we're going to have a break. And that is something that I, <laughs> I find fascinating about what Jesus does when he first calls um, people to follow him. So we thought about this big kingdom theme. We thought about it kind of the fulfillment of the whole Bible story. Jesus bringing this kingdom that lasts forever. So he goes along and he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. This is in your books. They were casting net into the lake for they were fishermen. Here they are, ordinary, very ordinary to be fishermen. Jesus doesn't find the elite. He doesn't find the educated. He doesn't go to the university. He goes to the fishermen. Ordinary, unschooled people. He starts with them. So if you feel like you can never really have a part in this, you're wrong. Jesus has the power to use everyone. But look what he says to them. Come follow me. That's what we've seen. Leave your jigsaw. Leave your kingdom. Leave the kingdom of this world. And, and now find your place in my kingdom. And I will send you out to fish for people. Right. Here's the last thing. What is the first benefit that Jesus tells his disciples they will experience if they join his kingdom. What is the first, what's his opening offer? Come follow me and I will forgive all your sin. Come follow me, I'll give you a place in heaven forever. Come follow me and I'll give you power. No. Come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. That is, I will give you a part in my great mission. Right, this is, I think this is so different to what we think. We think that telling people about Jesus, going out, trying to call people into the kingdom, not many of us think that's the good bit of being a Christian. Most of us, that's the bit we have to do. Like, there's loads of good things about following Jesus, but there's this, oh, got to do evangelism. Jesus leads with it. He says, this is the great privilege. If you follow me, the great privilege you get is to tell other people about Jesus. And it, in Jesus' mind, he thinks that is such a privilege that that is what will persuade people to leave their nets and follow him. Because he has such a big understanding of the glory of his kingdom that he says, what could be a greater privilege? What could be better to devote your life to than that? And they hear this, and at once they leave their nets and follow Jesus. All of this to say, as we wrap this up, I want to encourage you 
that what we're involved in, if we're following Jesus, is the single most important thing that is happening in this universe right now. It is the most important thing. To follow Jesus and to seek to bring others into his kingdom, nothing matters more. Parents, if, if you're a parent here and you have small ch- ch- if you have children of any sort, <laughs> that's not to be small, they could be big children. If you have children, parents, investing your life in helping your kids to understand Jesus, it really matters. For those of us who have children who have wandered away from Jesus, and I know that that is true of many, many people, that's true of my mum and dad, it breaks their hearts every day. But actually to keep praying for this kingdom to come in your children's hearts really matters. I know that for some of us it feels like it's never going to happen. But Jesus is the king. So keep asking him. Don't give up on praying. To spend time praying that the kingdom would come. To spend time praying for your friends, your workplace. That is not a waste of time. That is the most important thing that you could be doing with your time. You see, when we're giving ourselves to seeking this, this is what matters more than anything. And when we go into our workplaces, when we meet up with our friends, to live as kingdom people, to do our jobs with kingdom values, to do our jobs seeking what is just and true and fair, shining with the light of Jesus in the places where he's put us, it's the most important thing we can do. Because this kingdom matters. After the break, we're going to think some more about the parable that Jesus told, which I hope will help us think a bit more about how we can live this out. But for now, I, I just want us to stop And to remember again, perhaps for some of us, look, I don't know you guys, there may be some people here, you've never joined this kingdom. You may be part of the church, but you've never really followed Jesus. You've never never really said to him, I want you to be my king. You've never really seen that this kingdom of Jesus is the thing that matters, the only thing that lasts. I want to say to you this morning, why not make today the day when you repent. When you say to Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to stop with my jigsaw and I want to be part of yours. You could do that this morning. What joy that would be. Maybe there's some of us, we find our hearts cold today. We find our hearts unexcited about Hope 24 and these events that are coming up. We find ourselves weary and tired. Well, today, why don't you ask Jesus, help me to see you again, to see your kingdom and to give my life to that. Wherever you are at this morning, why don't we take some time to worship and to enjoy him. We're going we're gonna to sing, I think. And we're going to sing a beautiful song that says, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. And if that's your heart this morning, I want to encourage you to use these words as a word of response. Jesus is the light of the world. He came into our darkness. He invaded our dark world so that we can have light, life, and freedom. So why don't we take these words, use these to respond together to Jesus and his kingdom.